from HerbMentor.com, this is HerbMentor Radio. Well, hello, everybody. This is John Gallagher, and uh, this is our very first edition, the very premier edition of uh, Herb Mentor Radio. And we're not really on the radio, I realize, but um, but uh, we can pretend we are. It's kind of cool. <laughs> um, so um, this is um, a show that we'll be doing monthly, and we'll be talking to all kinds of wonderful people who use plants in their lives. And... Uh, we have, for the very first edition, uh, I wanted, it was important for me, because this is Herb Mentor, to have somebody who um, was and is a herbal mentor to me and somebody who made a big difference in my life. And I wanted, uh, as we get, as we start the launch process here, as we, before we put Herb Mentor online, I want, want you to get an idea of uh, all the wonderful things that are possible out there. Because probably one of the most um, amazing creative herbal teachers I've ever come across is who I have with me on the line today, which is, who is, which is, <laughs> Karen Sherwood. And herbal teachers I've ever come across is who I have with me on the line today, which is, who is, which is, <laughs> Karen Sherwood. And uh, Karen Sherwood uh, grew up, um, I should, you know, just so you're not silent there, I should at least say, hi, Karen. <laughs> Hi, John. Thank you. <laughs> Karen grew up uh, studying the floor in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, she uh, early on she developed and expanded the wild foods curriculum at Tom Brown's Tracker School in New Jersey and taught there with Ben Frank, who teaches survival skills, um, for over 15 years, right, Karen? That's right, yes. Yeah. And then moved back to her native homeland of uh, the west side of Washington, West side of the Cascades uh, in Washington State, and Frank is from the east side of the mountains, and and uh, so they uh, settle in now in in uh, in uh, outside of Seattle on the east side of Seattle, where they started Earthwalk Northwest, and we'll talk about Earthwalk Northwest programs that'll be kind of woven into the show um, that we do here. Uh, but I would give you an idea, um, you know, of, of Karen's contribution. She also teaches at the Botany programs. Through other organizations like Department of Ecology, Washington Outdoor Women, King County Parks, and of course my biased personal favorite, Wilderness Awareness School, right? <laughs> <laughs> and of course she teaches around the world, um, and uh, like such as Germany. You guys go to Germany every year, right? Um, we have gone there. We haven't gone there for a couple of years now, but we've been um, teaching over there several times and uh, really enjoy so, our trips. Wow. So I just want to give you an idea of uh, just who we have with us today. So what a wonderful opportunity this is. And, uh, of course, Karen is so incredibly humble, she'd never tell you any of these, <laughs> these things. But if you get to know her, she would. <laughs> but you can always look on her website, right? <laughs> um, so welcome, Karen. Well, um, thank you, John. I appreciate that uh, tremendous introduction there. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> It's um, uh, it has been an exciting adventure over the years, and um, teaching and learning about plants, and um, I think it's something that everyone can relate to. So I'm excited about um, talking a little bit about um, how yes, we can work exactly. plants into our lives. You and you, um, and that is one of the most wonderful things about you is that. You were such an inspiration to me in teaching, too. So if anyone w wants to know out there where, you know, I kind of get that foundation and keeping it really simple, it's from Karen. Because you go to 
one of your um, pro- your programs, and um, you, you don't fill it. You actually don't fill a notebook full of information. You, you you might write down a few notes, but you know you're you're hands on working the whole time, and learning from touching the plants and processing the plants. And you leave your programs with a uh, with with wonderful herbal creations, whether it be an herbal first aid kit in your herbal class or your wild foods class, or you might rose hip honey or uh, or, or your sea vegetable class with some uh, with some bullet kelp pickles. pickles. <laughs> yes. And 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 um, I, I was I was once once trying to find my notes from my sea vegetables class with you, and I, and I couldn't find I couldn't find them, and I realized, oh yeah, I don't think I took any because I was having such a good time foraging, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> kayaking think... the Puget Sound, right. <laughs> picking nori off of the rocks. <laughs> oh, there's not too many better days than one spent out on the water, is there? No, no, picking nori and eating it right off the rocks and bringing it back and making up a wonderful rice dish. And, and well, you know, and I, I think that you hit on a really um, good point, too, John, is that we learn so much by hands-on. Um, the more that mm. we're able to get out there and experience rather than, you know, certainly there's um, uh, some um, point to learning um text and learning about plants and identification, but um, I think the real learning really comes from that experiential ed of actually going out and doing, and that way that stays with us. You know, the plants that we prepare into our dinner meals or into lunch or use as a trailside nibble, those are ones mm-hmm. that literally stay with us forever. They have become a part of us in many different ways on many different levels, and um, I think that's really the fabulous way of learning is through that hands-on. And 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 that's the thing that it, it brings the resources and books alive. Because if you, I remember being very interested in this, and then you know I think when I first even signed up for one-year classes, and and uh, and I and I, and I would look in the books, and then every, all the information would slip right out of my head the next day. I tried to take notes or journal and all this. And anything I did, nothing could stick. And it wasn't until I was uh, out doing experiential classes with yourself and other wonderful herbal mentors who were blessed with so many amazing teachers in the Northwest, uh, like Ravencroft and other places, Aaron Grell and other folks. And and um, it was uh, – and, and, and that was the thing. You, you could go out in one of your classes, and you could learn uh, rose hips, for example, and then then go back to the book, and you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I remember Karen said something about vitamin C and not to do this, and for you can make honey, and you can make um, you know petal honey, you can make rose hip honey, you can make all kinds of stuff, and then and then it's you see it done in the class, and then you you're brave enough to go and do it, and it breaks that barrier. I think that that right? a lot of us have that do have that. Um, kind of that wall put up is that whether we were told as children, you know, don't go out and eat those because our parents didn't know if um, plants were going to be good for us or not, so they told us to stay away or, um, you know, whatever <laughs> um, that wall is that we have is that, you know, by going out and experiencing um, the plants around us, you know, with a guide to help us along, it does make that transition um, much less stressful we have a great experience, and by experiencing those plants through all of our senses, not just listening about them, but going out and seeing them, touching them, tasting them, um, truly um, we can re- remember them that way because we have developed that relationship. 
And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the greatest things that comes out of going out and doing that harvesting and preparation is that um, we've created a new friend, uh, one that will nourish us, um, that has so many gifts to give. And um, it's something that we'll never forget. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's it. You know, I, I, it's like on on herb mentor and learning herbs. We try to keep it simple and have simple lessons. And mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of people. There's a you know fair fair amount of people who will take the lessons and they go and do. It. And I try to show you know video and try to have the you know we're going, I'm doing my best long distance over a phone and internet yeah. to help with that. But you know. Um, you know, at least show stuff and whatever. But, you know, there's just something that just, you know, can't replace someone standing there and just going, this is it, you know, especially in the beginning, right, you know. And right. and, um, and and that's why, like, uh, I think that I think everyone listening should should go to earthwalknorthwest.com and, and look down the classes and see which one you can make it to <laughs> and, and uh, sign up. <laughs> My number one endorsement for for a live program right here. <laughs> well, so, you know, and, uh, and and I think if there's one thing that that I can communicate with to people is that um, all of us have the ability to learn them. Sometimes we're a little little bit intimidated as to the vastness of the plant world. Um, however, you know, all of us can go to um, the produce stand or the grocery store and go down that produce aisle, and almost all of us can tell a tomato from an apple, um, a potato from an onion, um, and many of us even parsley from cilantro. And if we can distinguish those differences, um, certainly we can learn the plants out that thrive around us. So it's not inaccessible. It's, It's something that no matter what our level of education is or participation in nature, um, it's possible for us to learn about all these wonderful plants that grow around us. Um, so, um, uh, you know, I'd like to pass that on to people that um, don't be overwhelmed with things, that um, you know, it just takes a little bit of time sometimes, but um, the more that we learn along the way, the easier it is to learn. Yes, exactly, and also that it's it's like uh, I get a lot of emails, Karen. People who like, oh, do you have a certification program? Do you have? And there are places where you can do that if you really want to go and find something. If you find you need a certain certificate for something, right. but really, um, you know, herbs, herbs, the wild foods. It's our, it's our diet. It's our food. We learn from experience. It's not about a program. It's just about infusing. The experiences one by one into your life, and then you you look back and and then you suddenly see a few years later, wow, I do know a lot more about wild plants because as you were looking, as you saw something bloom or saw some berries come out, you looked it up and then quick looked up a recipe and made something and then had it for dinner that night and you did that once a week or once a month and and then you, you were looking up stuff along the way and and then all of a sudden a couple of years later you're you're starting to tell your friends and people about this stuff and you like they're like wow you know a lot how did you learn this stuff you know and then uh-huh. then you find yourself that you're a bit of a teacher and then it's kind of like you don't even realize you're learning it's so, it's you know it's so much fun <laughs> well and, and no matter what your walk of life too there's a place to bring it in 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes we'll teach about survival, and it's about um, building confidence and uh, um, increasing our level of comfort in wilderness. And certainly plants, uh, wild plants that we learn have a place there. But, you know, if I'm pre- at home preparing foods um, for my family, absolutely I can bring wild foods in there. Um, mm. You know, it's easy. Maybe it's that we're trying to, you know, reduce our food budget. Um, certainly we can walk outdoors mm-hmm. and find wonderful things that are free for the harvest. Um, but mm-hmm. it also brings in that piece about nutrition, too, is that our wild foods are so nutritious and can really help maintain a good level of health. Um, and mm-hmm. so even if we're, if we're interested in nutrition, they have a piece there. So, you know, there's many, many reasons that we might approach them. Um, and no matter where people fit into um, whatever their lifestyles are, um, I think that there's really good reason to get out there and, and see how can we bring these great plants in. Mm-hmm. And, and and even if you're just starting and it's wintertime, you can still do it, right? I mean, you could get dried, dried nettle or something, right? You can get dried nettle, and even in the wintertime, you know, in the Pacific Northwest here, um, we have, you know, kind of three and a half seasons um, mm-hmm. that um, oftentimes we don't get hit with winter um, to, until pretty late. And there's things that we can harvest year-round. And, in fact, right. if we go out in the winter time, you know, we're kind of approaching that, you know, fall time and things are um, seem to be diminishing. But, you know, sometimes that's a really good time to to begin to explore because we're not overwhelmed with how abundant and wanting to learn everything that there is out there is that, you know, the, the selection kind of is made for us and we can take a few um, basic plants and get to know them really well until things mm-hmm. really start popping up in the spring. So um, thanks in for that. Um, so I get that I guess I want to then go a little deeper in a couple of areas I know you've been teaching about recently uh-huh. um, to kind of help folks. Um, well, you know, we're in that fall and winter, since we're talking about things we can do in the winter, you know, and, and different seasons. Um, you were telling me the other day that you were just doing a class on fermentation. Right. So what did what were you teaching and, like, with what plants or what kind of, what were you making, health benefits, you know, that kind of thing? What were you? Right. Um, well, we, in our um, plant apprenticeship program, we do a piece on fermentation, and it actually covers many different facets of that. We started off with um, fermented sodas, or, which is a, lacto-fermentation process, where our students um, actually made the culture in class um, and then continued um, over the course of the week to nurture that. And they then took that and took um, an infusion of their choice um, to flavor the sodas, whether it be a berry or you can do herb, flowers, um, roots, um, anything that inspires you, really. Um, we mm. had in class um, just simple ginger soda, of course, is wonderful. Um, yeah. We had, um, you know, we can do um, choke cherries, 
uh, which we harvested a whole bunch of this year. Um, and Ooh. <laughs> and that's, that's delicious, yeah. And we had a choke cherry soda? Choke cherry soda. And you get that balance of sweet and tart going on, and it's just fabulous. Um, so you can do some wild stuff, or you can do a little bit more domestic stuff. But um, this is such a great place to start because they're really fun, and the amount of creativity that you can bring to it is really endless. Um, so what's that? What's that book? There's a root, root um, like a sodas root beer and um, sodas. There's a, a wild fermentation, a book called Wild Fermentation. Um, That's it. It is yeah. wonderful. Yes. Um, Let's see. Who is the I'm trying to remember who the author is. But it's called Wild uh, Fermentation if you Amazon that and Sandar Katz, I think, is the author for that. Anyway, um wonderful book. And um so it goes um talks a little bit about those things. But um so when you're brewing this up you're actually going through that process of lacto fermentation and um then when you bottle them up they begin to effervesce a little bit, and um, that's when you get kind of that fizziness going on. Um, mm. One of the exciting so pieces, a, I think, really right. is not only is it really good for us, um, but it can't be duplicated and commercialized because these no, right. won't stay on the uh, supermarket shelves for ages. They're really limited. Um, yeah, like uh, you, you, you kind of need once you have the yeast in and bottle it, you kind of need to just refrigerate it until you drink it, right? I mean, you do. And, it's a small batch kind of thing, right? About three or four months. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Is what you have, and without exploding. <laughs> um, well, and that's where the refrigeration piece comes in. Is that right? Um, we reduce um, that whole process by refrigerating it. Um, and then ultimately the sugars in solution get used up too, so um, that might be the limiting factor as well. We kind of want a, a little bit sweet in that, you know, end product, but um, you know, not overly so. But um, so you get that right balance there, and um, you get the carbonation. Well, it's not really; it's a dissolved. Um, um, uh, air going on, uh, and it gives it that fizziness, um, mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of gives you your little bit of bubbly going on with your um, uh, sodas, uh, so uh-huh. like carbon dioxide, which is given off. And you you know, once um, well, you know, Daniel and Becca, of course. Yes, of uh, course. Yeah. They, they moved from the um, they moved down to Oregon a couple few years back, but. Uh, um, on their wedding, I went to the other side of the mountains, got some elderflowers. You know, it was right around their time, and I um, made up kind of an elderflower champagne, which is kind of like a, it's a non-alcoholic type of thing. Nice. And uh, and what was the, the best was the effect at the wedding because then they popped the cork, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it worked really well. It was a good effect, you know. The carbonation just let it go enough where it had a good effect on popping. Oh, and it isn't elderflowers just one of the most phenomenal uh, smells in the entire world. I could, yeah. I think it's just heavenly. And I can imagine that that was just delicious. Mm. Now, speaking of elderflowers, I remember having a drive-by 
wildcrafting mission with Karen once where we were on a class and we went down the road in eastern Washington and it was in kind of dusk and we were out there and we, we picked all our elderflowers off the tree, you know, no one can watch or see us right there and we jumped back in the car with our elderflowers and the next day we dipped them in pancake batter and we uh, put them up on the griddle and that was our breakfast, right? It was. It's so delicious. Yes. Yeah, it's so fun to do. <laughs> You know, another thing that, that we do with those, too, is that um, we do this oatmeal dish with them where we um, pull off all the elderflowers and we put them in our oatmeal to cook up. And um, we actually do a baked oatmeal, and it is um, truly a piece of heaven there um, to have those mm. um, elderflowers in there and um, giving us all kinds of wonderful flavors and uh, the goodness of the oats and um, yeah, there's there's so many ways to um, bring that creativity in, and I think that's one of the exciting pieces. So, yeah, elderflower. That's what you really bring to all this. That 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 was was you that so inspiring. It was one creative, inspiring thing to do after another, and you and then yeah, like I said, at the end of a, a weekend class, you turn around and like, oh, we're done already, or that was quick, or. <laughs> You know, it's like it's over already. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's amazing how many creative things and and and, and uh, that that you can. Oh, like for example, I I just have to, I just have to read a couple of these things. Okay, Karen Karen does monthly at her at her house. Um, what uh, wild feasts, right? Is that what you call them now? Wild feasts? yeah, our wild foods dinners. We have wild feasts wild, that wild go on. Foods, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you live in the Seattle area, you got to go over to EarthwalkNorthwest.com and check out the the the, the um, schedule for that. And uh, it's quite um, here's here's some things that have been made out. Well, of course, stinging nettle soup, acorn muffins with elderberry jelly, dockseed crackers, burdock beer, cattail pollen crepes, smoked salmon with chickweed pesto, um, you know, um, roasted camas bulbs. Which uh, canvas bulbs for those not from the Northwest are the staple of the native peoples here. And cattail shoot salad. I mean, you know, this is not all the same because they're all over sea different seasons. But to, to get the idea of that, I'm just trying to illustrate the creativity you can have here um, when you find a plant you want to learn about and then find some wonderful recipe or make right, up a recipe. Right. Well, you know, it's like just for, uh, for instance, um, our native oak here, just to make something out of that, it doesn't have to be just take the acorns and boil them up for a soup or stew. So certainly we could do that, but we could take those acorns and um, traditionally they were made into like a venison acorn stew, maybe with those camas bulbs. But then we can also leach out a lot of the bitter tannic acids just by boiling them, dry mm-hmm. them out and grind them into a meal, for muffins or pancakes or whatever. Um, mm. Our last wild foods dinner, we took that acorn flour or meal and used it as a crust for um, a cheesecake that we served. Um, and mm. then we can make um, some more um, traditional dishes, too, of um, actually boiling it into kind of almost like a pudding-type um, consistency and serving it up as cakes. Or even to take that same um, acorn meal and roast it and make a wonderful brewed um, 
beverage out of it, kind of like the consistency of coffee, um, and it has just a rich flavor to it, lots of minerals in it. Um, so uh, these plants really lend themselves to great diversity. So imagination is what it takes, um, and a little bit of creativity there, and you can do almost anything. Yeah, your mind. I mean, do you just these just these ideas just come to you in the middle of the night, or, or you're in the kitchen cooking? Oh, it would be good if we did this. And like, how do you come up with these amazing well, you know, uh, ideas? Actually, there's so many. I mean, I've seen a lot of wild foods cookbooks and stuff, but ones that you you teach in the class and ones I've seen at the. I mean, I, I haven't seen these in other places. Um, you know what? A lot of times it's through my students' inspirations that, you know, mm-hmm. things come to me. They'll think, oh, man, you know, if only we had blah, blah, blah. And I think about what we have around us and what could go that direction. Um, mm-hmm. And then sometimes the pieces just fit together, and then we'll experiment around. Um, I can remember, well, Greg Summers um, mm-hmm. was in one of our programs, um, a, a friend to us both, and he wanted to do something with elderberries and he wanted to make some kind of sauce and we kind of brainstormed for a while and he was doing this as a term project for one of his classes here and as we talked about it um, what we kind of came up with was an elderberry chutney and um, he didn't have much kitchen experience but had kind of this vision and, and so we kind of worked through it and used the chutney recipe and put the elderberries in, and I tell you, if it wasn't the most fabulous um, sauce that came, he actually used it to serve it with a a fish dish that he prepared. Um, But I can see many different applications with um, wild game or um, even um, to cook in with, you know, other fruits and things like that. be just great. That's a good point. You're saying that like a can take a one of your someone could take a, a favorite cookbook of theirs and replace things with wild foods. Absolutely, you know. Um, oh, one of my um, favorite stinging nettle recipes is just um, um, from uh, taking a lasagna recipe, and it was a spinach lasagna, and substituting lots of stinging nettle for the spinach in there. So you can go to. Um, yes, your favorite cookbook. Um, sometimes, you know, good old Betty Crocker offers some inspiration even. So <laughs> um, take it and create what you need from it. And you can say, there you go. That's the name of your cookbook or your, like, you know, your image. You could be like the wild Betty Crocker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, so my mom's name is Betty. Did you know that? <laughs> Like at least having at least one or two wild foods cookbooks kind of gives you the basic idea, 
and then that's easy to transi- transition to any cookbook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and if anyone wants to know uh, your wild foods books, cookbooks, book um, on learningherbs.com, we have the wild foods pack, of course, and and um, there's some information there. Um, and then there's other great books too. Um, uh, I know a favorite of both of ours in the Northwest is the Discovering Wild Plants. Uh, uh-huh. Janice Schofield. Yeah. Fabulous book. One, the one you need if you live around us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the way up yeah. to Alaska and down. It's it's a requirement. <laughs> well, and, and an inspiration too. I think is yeah. that um, between. Um, the photographs and suggestions for use, and then the follow-up with the recipe. Um, it really is uh, inspiring, and it allows you to go from ID all the way through to pr- actually creating something in your own home. Exactly, and medicinal stuff too in their recipes and all, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, it's a, and on the medicinal level, that I think that is practical and to us all, which is, you know, our basic first aid, the bumps and bruises, colds and flus, and uh, basic basic stuff like that, the stuff we're going to use every day. Everyday stuff, and yeah. That's, and that's um, taking our health care back in, mm-hmm. to our own hands, too. And then we start to realize along the way that, hey, this food is our medicine, right? Absolutely, food is What do you have to say about, uh, you know, you, yeah, well, I'd like to know what you had to say about that, because you, you're an ethnobotanist and, and, you know, native diets and and what you know what what you know about that as far as food and medicine. What do you what what, what wisdom can you? <laughs> well, you know, I think some through. of the greatest things that um, that we learn is that you know these plants that share our environment um, are the ones for us. Is that when we can eat locally and with this whole vision of you know local eating, I think wild foods just really fit well into that piece is that these plants share their the environment with us. They're going through the same stresses um, and are getting stronger for that. And these plants that live around us are the ones to bring into our diet. Um, we have learned over the years, we see it all the time, that we are provided with everything that we need in the right season. And again, with wild foods, it um, allows us to really eat seasonally as well. And each season presents itself with the things that we need to be strong, to be healthy, um, and to um, really thrive um, through what's coming up. Um, mm. you know, in the oh. spring of the year, oftentimes we haven't had a lot of really fresh things if we're um, you know, going out and doing foraging, but there before we know it are those young shoots that are coming up out of the ground that are so rich in nutrients. Stinging nettle, of course, is one of our greatest. Dandelion, one that everybody knows. Um, Those are Mm. there to really lend these wonderful um, nutrients to our body, great mineral complement, and to really revitalize us in the spring of the year. You know, there's our spring tonic right there. Um, Mm. And then, you know, as we continue on through the seasons, more and more comes up. Um, But we go through the summer and lots of berries, especially here in the Northwest, they Mm -hmm. come up and emerge, and we're just um, overwhelmed with the number um, and variety of of berries that are here. And they're preparing us 
for the next season coming up with their um, rich vitamin C complements. Um, and then we go down harvesting our root crops in the fall of the year, helping to build us up for the winter as well and really strengthen us. And, you know, everything is in its right season. Um, mm-hmm. And when we eat the wild foods that are around us, um, those things come to us. You know, um, and it's a really important point, everyone, because I'm a, as many of you know, I'm a, I'm a five-element acupuncturist, and um, and our, the, when I'm working with someone, uh, it's all about bringing that person's energy flow, their chi flow, in, in harmony with the seasons that we're in, and and and, and bringing about health that way. Now. Doing what Karen's talking about is not just healthy because we're taking in the vitality and the best vitamins and minerals you can get, right? It's also extremely healthy because it's helping us be in tune with the seasons, and that brings uh, good spiritual health to us all to to, to be in touch with the natural world around us. There's, I've seen it, and I see it in people and, 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 the, and the work that I do. And, and um, it's like if you're going out and doing this stuff, it, it's a healthcare ritual, isn't it? A- absolutely. Um, in, uh, on many levels that you're talking about is that, it, yeah, it's not just being nourished by the vitamins and nutrients in the plants, but just um, the whole... Um, ritual of going out and harvesting brings that mm. sense of calm and um, um, in-tunement, if you will, with, uh, you know, I, I can remember many a times being, uh, going out and being a little bit stressed, feeling I'm short on time and going out with my harvesting basket um, and just lending myself over to the harvest. And the gift that came back, not only in the basket, but came into my whole being, was that gift of calm and relaxation um, and that sense that um, everything was just going to work out fine. So, you know, I think that um, there's many, many levels that we can be nourished on. That's... that's, uh... That's very true. It's getting so into what you're saying, I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, that's beautiful. So, John, one thing that I did want to bring up is that, you know, when we talked about the, the fermentation process is that, oh, yeah. you know, we were talking a little bit about sodas, but I wanted to mm-hmm. um, also bring in the piece, and it reminded me when you were talking about the versatility of, versatility of things is that, um from there, we went into um, doing a piece on fermentation with cabbages and making sauerkraut, um, mm. which was, you know, has an ancient tradition behind it. Um, but from there, we thought, well, how can we bring um, our wild foods into that process? And we went out and we harvested dandelions and we made a dandy kraut. And it was so oh. to see that whole process going on where we can, instead of taking cabbages, we can take our dandelion and do the exact same thing. 
and um, with that, it just um, with that whole fermentation um, process, it kind of you know aids in the preservation, of course, but it makes our food so much more digestible. Um, it you know it allows our bodies to really make use of the nutrients, and um, we ended up serving that over rice with a little bit of we had some um, zucchini relish that we put in with that too, and it was. Uh, it, just a vibrant meal that we had. That's incredible. It was, That's incredible. It was incredible. And <laughs> so there's, there's more, more things than just um, sodas that we can go through this fermentation process, that we can bring our vegetables in, and there's many, many gifts. And, um, again, uh, the diversity of things um, comes through too. And I know on Herb Mentor, too, I even want to get into some real basic cheese making, too, at some point. We can do that with ferment with milk, and, you know, there's so much we can do. Exactly, and it brings those same gifts, too, is that um, it's a natural um, preservation method. It makes um, things much more digestible. Uh, and people who have allergies or uh, some food intolerances um, oftentimes find that um, through um, this process of um, natural fermentation or lacto-fermentation that um, suddenly there aren't the food issues that were there, um, that were there originally. And people forget this is how people were preserving their food before refrigerators. Exactly. <laughs> a cold um, cellar and fermentation and wines and beers and pickles and mm-hmm. drying things and... All of that that really great stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and it, and just saying, you you know, saying that all all the stories you've gathered about plants, and you talk about rituals and stuff before, and and um, that's what doing all this really does. Is it um, it has such a deep texture in your life. It goes, it may start as a little interest, or you might think it's a hobby you're getting into, and then before you know it, it's a lifestyle, and then you find your family stories. And your rituals, your things that you do as a family, suddenly woven in with the plants and the mm-hmm. seasons. And then, then you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're kind of like you know you're a plant person or an herbalist when you're when you're you know going out with your family and harvesting something, or where you can't go anywhere and you can't you can't go on a trip anywhere without coming back with something that you picked. <laughs> We have a kind of a joke that we have in our programs here and that once we begin to learn plants, our students start to find that these plants begin to follow them everywhere. So even if we try to do something else, there those plants are that we've made a a connection with and they will follow us around the world. (laughs) (laughs) They do. I mean, I even remember, you know, even your story you're saying is something that you do every year with your family as you go to the... East Side. Um, I think it was. You say something you do at New Year's. You go to the East Side and you pick rose hips and. Right. We have some dear friends over near Spokane area, and um, when our girls uh, and we have children that are the same age as children in their family. And are they still children? They're, they're getting older now, aren't they? They're, they're getting older. Yeah, they're 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 um, uh, teenage girls now. Teenage and, girls now. Oh my gosh, time. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, and um, but we still go out every once in a while. We um, uh, 
when when they were really little, we started the tradition of on um, we, we would spend New Year's Eve together, um, and we both had little teeny babies all at the same time, so it was really just perfect. Um, mm. And then when they got a little bit um, oh, about a year or two old, I guess we went out. And we had um, harvested rose hips, and then the next mm. morning um, we had. Uh, so that night we actually ended up taking the rose hips and making rose hip jelly and rose hip syrup, and that then came to our New Year's Day breakfast table. Um, mm. And so we had our rose hip syrup or jelly um, over our pancakes or muffins or. Um, whatever we had prepared for that morning. And it was a tradition for many, many years that we did that. Um, that that would start off our New Year's. And still to this day, no matter when we have it um, or when we make our um, jelly, um, mm. we always have that rose hip um, for that breakfast New Year's morning. Um, mm. And it's all wood when it's uh, stories. With the Arabs, just woven into your life. It's it, it is, and it's so much fun. And there they are, just brightening, brightening our morning meal. Right, and then, and then the health is in, in the health in it, and the see, we get so focused in our society. I mean, even in the natural health, you know, in natural health people and people who, you know, talk about a lot of they they they'll say, you know, have. You know this latest supplement, or have, have eat this way or that or whatever, and and they rarely focus on that. A big part of the nourishment of the food is, like I said, not just those vitamins and minerals that you're getting, but also you've got the experience of of that New Year's, you know, day in that in mm. that rose hip jelly, right. and that is a big part of it as well. I can remember one New Year's Eve that we had gone out and. Uh, we um, uh, cross-country skied out to the patch, and the rose bushes were just covered with snow, and they were so bright red in, in contrast to the snow that was there. It was the biggest um, crop, if you will, that we had um, ever seen. And to be able to harvest that um, as we had skied out there, and I think we pulled the kids on sleds at that point, because they were pretty little, and um, we filled our baskets full. Um, but here in the middle of winter were these beautiful, beautiful rose hips um, that came back with us, and we had just this glorious day with this um, incredible and, memories uh, to bring And back. anyone listening to us here who lives around us in western Washington, you kind of need to go to a slightly colder place like eastern Washington to harvest <clears throat> that time of year. Right, um, right. Because they get kind of mushy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's a little bit damp. They mold. They're, they're starting to get a little bit mushy right now, even <laughs> a few of them. Although there's quite a few that are still left um, right now in the end of October here. But, are, but something we can even pick now, um, speaking of things we can pick now, the uh, our first herb of the month in Herb Mentor is burdock. Mm. And um, tell us a wonderful thing you like to do with burdock. Um, Am I putting you on the spot? <laughs> no, actually. Oh, my gosh. So um, 
I love to make gravy from burdock. It makes, you know, grate it up and we can cook it and um, make a really rich um, gravy. Maybe add a little bit of miso to it right at the very end. Um, And um, we eat um, a lot of wild game in our house, and it's just fabulous over wild game. But we can Mm. put it over pasta as well. So burdock root gravy if you want something warm. Um, of course, um, marinated um, or kind of um, cooked and, and marinated burdock root is wonderful. Um, we you know simmer it up briefly with um, maybe a little garlic and ginger there. Um, put a little bit of tamari in with it and mm. um, a little bit of your favorite vinegar. Um, we eat them right on the spot, but if you can let them sit for a few days. Um, that is great, but mm-hmm. one of our one of my students, um, Paul, came up with this fabulous thing to do, where he put um, he made pickled eggs. He dropped them in the burdock brine along with the burdock, and they turn out this shiny black color as they absorb all the minerals from that burdock brine, and they're just incredible. Um, in fact, just recently, he just gifted me with a jar of them, and um, I consider it um, truly a gift from the heart. And you know, it's like my little jar of gold there. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, um, I can't. But, well, that's amazing. Yeah, so, if you haven't tried this, um, you know, I'm sure that you've made up your pickled burdock root before. Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead and take some boiled eggs and. Put them in that brine in the like a quart mason jar with them, and let them set for uh, oh, a couple weeks or so, um, or longer. The longer the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more they, the longer they sit in there, the darker they get, and they just are beautiful. They taste fabulous, and you can eat them along with your your burdock root. And, and everyone, there is a burdock. Uh, Pickling recipe on herb mentor and um, perfect, perfect. And you could just drop your eggs. You do that and do add the eggs. Yeah. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna open up a jar of my burdock pickles right after we're done here and start eating it, so I can <laughs> drop a couple eggs and I want to. There you go. And pickle. even leave a few of the burdock in there um, with the okay. eggs too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, if you can like that, that. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to stop eating those things. I know. Yeah, bur- burdock. Burdock's amazing. It can, you can make, pretty much make anything. <laughs> uh, burdock is amazing. Um, yeah, there's so many things that we can do with it. Um, and, and folks, if you want to play around with burdock and you don't, uh, you know, know how to ID it yet or it's, you know, not the, you know, you can actually, uh, I was at PCC. That's our local co-op market, our Whole Foods type of market. I don't know about the Whole Foods chain, but our, our local um co-op market that we have here actually sells burdock root. Um, Asian groceries will sell it as gobo root. Um, uh, but you can, I bought my, I bought a pound or so of burdock root and uh, we, and, and, uh, and we've been cooking with it in the last couple of weeks. Very nice. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, I've also seen the seeds for sale. We had them at the local <laughs> grange 
um, you can buy burdock seeds. So if you don't have any by you, um, you can put some out for planting. Uh, Karen and I live in a place that uh, in the wild, it's oddly, it's challenging to find. <laughs> so you have to know your your local farms and your places. I have my pad. I never reveal my patches of burdock or anything. <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell people some things, but I won't tell people where my burdock is, you know. <laughs> I actually told someone where my where I pick my elderberries, Karen, you know, to make my wine every year. Uh-huh. And um, last year, and then the word kind of got out. And come on, there's elder, elderberries all over. But, I, you know, got the right spot, you know, where I can take the kids with me and, you know, it's just a perfect little family spot where I can, I go back there, it's just wiped clean. And I'm like, somebody's been here. And I found out that somebody that told somebody that told somebody, picked like 200 pounds of berries. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, oh. And that kind of brings <laughs> up a, actually an interesting point is that, you know, when, when we're teaching here, we, we cover a lot of ethnobotany and um traditional uses of plant that um, indigenous peoples and um, mm-hmm. how they utilize plants and kind of their philosophies. And when we've taken care of a patch and nourished it and harvested it really ethically so that there's enough for the, the other wildlife and um, make sure that we don't take it all there um, and we harvest in a way that will make sure that that plant will come back the next year. In Native tradition, mm-hmm. what we find is that um, when we caretake a patch, then others would respect that you were um, making a place for that in your life, and you were kind of the overseer or the gardener of that, and they would go out and harvest in other places. And I think that that's mm-hmm. really wonderful is that it's that respect um, that they offer one another um, and that understanding that here's a person who's taking care of these plants so they'll be there for generations to come. Exactly, exactly. That's that's. Um, we've talked a lot about wildcrafting and, and our various things we've done in our, you know, newsletters and interviews and stuff, but that's a, that's a point I had not heard. Thank you so much for, you know, point of view for um, that I hadn't heard, which is really wonderful. It's, mm-hmm. it's um, just a, it says it all right there. You don't even need to say everything else. You said it all right there. So that's, that's wonderful. So um, this is maybe one more herb that, one more plant out there that uh, that I found interesting that you told us about one time was uh, um, we see the flower we see the seed stalks um, this time of year all over of the yellow dock. Yeah. A yellow dock is a different plant than burdock. It's a different family. They both say dock, but dock just means large leaf, right? Um, so we're in different families here, totally different plant. And um, and so you see the big, the tall um, seed stalks with them. They're kind of reddish-brown, all these little seeds. And it's in a buckwheat family, right? It is a buckwheat, yes. Right. And so, um, so what, what's something you like to do with dock seeds? Well, you know, dock seeds are an amazing thing. And when we're talking about great plants to know, um, certainly dock is really high on that list. Um, and as we're um, addressing um, kind of survival conditions, it's really a, a great one to know for that because those seeds remain clinging to that plant 
throughout the winter time. So they're going to be available for easy harvest. So we can, in an emergency, just take a handful of them and munch on them. But it's probably not the most palatable way of, of enjoying them. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that we really like to do is uh, grind them into a meal or flour. And um, dock seed crackers oftentimes grace our table. They're so simple mm-hmm. to make and um Oftentimes, um, that flour will also make it into other dishes and muffins um, in pie crust that we make, um, adding a little bit extra nutrition. You know, they're really high in riboflavin and will help our bodies to assimilate vitamin C uh, more easily. So I like to throw them into um, my favorite batch of oatmeal cookies or um, something, uh, you know, a little bit, um, um, on the, the okay, a more elaborate side, I guess you'd call it, by um, putting them into a pie crust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and you'll just have a, a jar of these that you've picked, and when you want, you're making up a meal in the kitchen. You just open that jar and put a handful in. I will, and I leave them whole, um, so that and because they grind up really well. You know, I use my blender a lot, probably for things that it wasn't meant to be used for. But, um, <laughs> Always the one. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll just, when I need them, um, I'll grind them up fresh. They, they're not open to the air and having a chance to, um, you know, lose their nutrition. Um, but we'll just grind them up, throw them in the blender, grind them up into a meal or powder because they'll, I'll do that really easily um, and then work them into um, kind of as your favorite flour. So pancakes, muffins, crackers, uh, you name it, um, they can be worked into that. Wow. And, 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 and um, you know, I should probably also mention with all this nutrition is that, you know, even in, even in a lot of organic farms, the soils are being more and more stripped of their minerals. And mm. at least we can be assured that our, in our wild foods, when you have a vibrantly grown wild patch of something, that it's gonna it's gonna have all those vitamins, minerals, and for sure, you know. Right, and if we combine that with a little bit of fermented foods that enable us uh, enable our bodies to really make good use and um, uh, absorb all those nutrients, then um, we have a double blessing there for certain. Wow. <laughs> you know, Karen, we're definitely going to have to have you back on the show. <laughs> there's so many and, uh, things, aren't there? It's exciting. There's so many things to talk about. It's, it's really endless. Um, it is endless, and that's why I like this, because I just love the fact that I'm going to be 80 years old and feel like I don't know anything and having fun with it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I feel the same way, is that um, every day is a learning experience, and Sometimes um, those things come from the most unexpected places. Um, I learn mm. so much from um, my students that I have, um, and or they'll inspire me to think about going a different direction, and that's the greatest piece is that mm. um, it is endless, always right. something new to explore. And... Um... You definitely need to sign Kimberly and I up for that solstice uh, 
wild foods meals. Oh, we will love to have you there. That'll we, be so we like to get that kind of our one of our plant rituals, Kimberly and I, is to go to the Sherwoods house around Solstice to their wonderful gathering there and you can just look on the website there. <laughs> and speaking of the website <laughs> speaking of the website, um though Karen does and I should also mention um well I will in a second. But even though Karen does, there's a lot of day-long experiences like elderberry wine, elderflower champagne. I'm on your website here. Oh. Uh, um, uh, cheese making and uh, a lot with seed. Um, Karen knows a lot about making uh, baskets and, and various crafts, uh, native crafts with cedar bark, cedar bark baskets. And um, um, it's, it's amazing the beautiful baskets that, that she's made. And um and uh, those are those day long. Those are even like uh, herbal salves and lip balms, and a lot of medicinal type stuff too. All the way to weekends where you fly in, and I guess the way you fly in on a Thursday is it a Friday, Saturday, Sunday class, or your, your usually weekend? they're Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so that yeah. um, people can um, uh, just kind of take a long weekend there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, our wild edibles um, kind of covers the weekend although our seaweeds and coastal foraging is a little bit longer and the tides really dictate what um, when it is we have that class. We do it around... Now, I need to do that one again because you added the coastal foraging part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, they go hand in hand with the coastal foraging. We can't do one without the other, so um, we certainly do... Um, um, enjoy all the gifts that the sea has to offer. And, and, that, and I have to say, Karen, I've taken a lot of plant classes, <laughs> and the seaweed weekend on Lopez Island was like was the crown jewel was my favorite of all of them. <laughs> well, you know, and, so... and I, I think that that the gift of that those the islands bring to us really is the big oh. piece of that, too. <laughs> It's, it's you go on island time and you go to the beautiful San Juan Islands and you harvest and you cook and you, oh yeah yeah we excited. eat a lot that's for certain um, and, and um and then um, certainly try to folks try to make it out for a weekend sometime but also um, but I suggest you just move here to the northwest for a season or a few seasons and uh, join up with the uh, plant apprenticeship uh, program and that goes from February to like fall or what? February to October. We just finished. Um, in fact, last Wednesday we finished our um, our year with our students, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just really phenomenal how far that they get um, in a year's time. We go seasonally. We start off in the spring and follow those plants from spring through summer and then into the fall of the year, uh, watching them as they change and, um, you know, get to enjoy their many different faces. Um, mm. And then we start off also with the tools of the gatherer in preparation for um, our year of harvesting um, and learning about the plants. Um, and and uh, I've been not mentioning that, that um, and I've been meaning to hear that Earthwalk Northwest is... Uh, also about wilderness survival uh, skills, and um, Karen's husband Frank is just as Karen is an artisan and master expert in working with plants, and and Frank is uh, 
the same when it comes to working on uh, primitive skills. And and whereas you teach um, the basics, you know, your your bow drill and, and and shelter building and all, what you find at Earthwalk, which you're not going to find anywhere else, is the real real fine tuning and artisan type of stuff when it comes to that. You know, from uh, uh, the flint napping to the tool making and you know the tanning and and once again all hands on um, from you know, I mean who keep from a couple who has been <laughs> living it for 25 years you know like <laughs> been teaching and doing this for so long so you that's why everybody's I gotta move out to the northwest <laughs> you should right come on out. <laughs> it, well, we we consider it pretty special out here, don't we? Yeah, I, I, you know, and I'm from New Jersey, and you lived in New Jersey, and you notice anyone listening here that none of us, either of us, are in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> kind of says it all, doesn't it? That pretty much says it. <laughs> it was a great place to grow up. <laughs> a lifetime exploring them. Exactly. And so, um, well, I just uh, didn't want to take this time to take this uh, opportunity to to thank you so much for um, spending this hour with us and sharing some of your amazing creative ideas and working with plants and, and wisdom on how to learn and and wild crafting and all that sort of thing. And I just hope this is the um, beginning of more conversations and maybe I'll get to bring my camera out to a day-long class and you can see Karen in action online. Um, that would be fun. Um, you know, that would be all kinds of creative. My, my pleasure to do that. Um, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, I have had so much fun chatting with you, John, and, um, you know, I hope that... Um, people who are listening today are inspired to go out and explore their own backyards, whatever size that may be, and um, visit your website and get those recipes and really get some hands-on um, experience with the plants because uh, truly miracles are created. Um, and I know that everyone will experience that when um, they end up bringing um, the, those wild foods into their daily lives. Thank you. And before I'm going to hit uh, the end recording here in a second, and stay on the line. <laughs> Don't okay. hang up. Uh, but I just once again mention you can find out about Earthwalk Northwest at earthwalknorthwest.com. And uh, in case you just got this MP3 recording randomly on the internet somewhere, you find out about, about us at learningherbs.com as well as herbmentor.com. So uh, thanks again, Karen, and um, and thanks everyone for listening and for our first exciting edition of Herb Mentor Radio. <laughs> okay, have a good day, everyone. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright learningherbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.